we are crossing the threshold this year of space no longer truly being a governmental provenance and moving into this hybrid commercial government realm. And I think that's important because the the behaviors of the industry and the behaviors of the consumers of everything space necessarily are going to need to change. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, and welcome back. Now, as this is December, it's that time when we start getting ready for the holidays and a new year. And lest you forget, later this month, we're celebrating the U.S. Space Force's birthday. So it's a good time to start taking stock to measure up where we are now against where we started the year and have a peek into just what 2024 may hold. As this is also the beginning of the month, in this episode, we're focusing on space business, on investing in particular. And I have to be perfectly blunt. Investors are as chilly as the weather outside my window. The seed stage, venture capital firm Space Capital, regularly puts out quarterly reports. And while we don't yet know how this fourth quarter or the year is going to end, the numbers from the past three quarters should be sobering. The authors wrote, Deal-making remained flat or declined across venture stages. That seed, Series A, B, and C, up to late stage. Since January, 289 space companies have attracted $11.6 billion in investment. With the word billion, that sounds big. But compared to this time last year, that dollar amount is down by almost a third. Infrastructure, which includes things like hardware and software to build, launch, and operate space-based assets, that's gotten the lion's share of investment this year, representing 73% of the total so far. But investors are not keen on applications. That includes things like specialized hardware and software that utilizes data from space-based assets. Companies that are developing technologies in this area have witnessed a whopping 71% drop in venture capital year over year, according to the report. You're going to have to wait until the first episode in January to get the deep dive into what's happening with venture capitalists and the equity markets. But in the meantime, I have Paul Thomas and Craig Gottlieb of Accenture. It's a publicly traded international technology consulting company that also makes deals in the space domain. It also hit its 52-week high today, Friday, December 1st, at $338.50 a share. Now, what's interesting about Paul and Craig and why you want to hear them out is that they are bullish on applications technology development and investing in space applications companies. And as the company has entered into a number of partnerships and made more than a few investments into space applications companies over this year, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Here's our conversation. Hi, Paul. Craig, thank you for making the time to come on the podcast. Hi, Laura. Great to be here. Hey, Laura. Thanks for having us. Now, before we jump into the ups, the downs, and the trends of 2023 that you guys are seeing for the space economy, let's take a minute and do some introductions. You know, like 
give the listeners a chance to know you guys first. And Paul? Yeah, hi, thanks, Laura. Um, yeah, so, well, Paul Thomas, um, I'm uh, based in London and lead our global you know, space innovation division. Uh, been working in the space arena now for two years or two and a bit years. Um, but really how I got into space really was, was the innovation side of things. Um, I've spent my entire career thinking and working with new technologies, emerging technologies, and figuring out how to harness those for the benefit of, uh, of, of different businesses, different customers, um, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and, and space seems like the, you know, it's, it's the new domain, the new frontier that has the possibility, endless possibilities for, for, for us to explore, right? So what better place to, to bring innovation and, and figure out how to apply it? And Craig, what about you? How did you get your start in the space business? It, yeah, thanks, Laura. So Craig Gottlieb, uh, so I, I lead Accenture's work in strategy and consulting for aerospace and defense practice here in North America. And I think the best way to describe how I got involved in space is things just keep getting pulled inexorably higher right? Uh, be that platforms or data or, or things like that for, for all of our clients. And, and so as, as things have moved upward, I guess, so have I in, in a way, uh, in terms of the problems and other things that, that we're dealing with here. Uh, so much so that, as I mentioned to you before we were talking, and I'm sitting here on the Space Coast today as we record. So I'm going all in on space today. And what are you doing on the Space Coast today? Uh, that, unfortunately, I cannot disclose. I know. That hurts. It does. <laughs> All right. Well, now let's take a look at Accenture's business, right? Because I think my audience would really also appreciate an introduction to that. And perhaps, Paul, do you want to explain Accenture's interest in space? There have been a number of deals over the past 12 months, starting with a collaboration agreement with Planet Labs. Then there's investments in Spider Oak and Open Cosmos. There is also the collaboration with QSecure. What's the strategy? Yeah, the, the strategy is pretty far and wide. Um, we try and boil it down, though, to, uh, to, to a few basics, right? So one is how can we bring um, innovation, innovative technologies, so I spoke about innovation earlier on, to the existing space industry, to, you know, to, to those aerospace and defense clients that are there and some of these new companies that are building um, space capabilities and space infrastructure. So how do we bring that innovation to them? Um, and that's thinking about, you know, um, Web3 type technologies, you know, IoT technologies, you know, digital twin capabilities, um, next generation computing and next generation robotics. So it's all these new innovative things that, that you know, that, that we're working on. How do we how do we help do things better there? The other flip side of that is actually how do we harness the existing space infrastructure environment so earth observation technology you know 5g and 6g um you know satellites etc secure communications and how do we bring that to the rest of you know the planet in effect and and, and the rest i guess of the the different clients that we have so you know accenture's in this really privileged position that we get to talk to pretty much every type of industry on the planet um, and therefore, we also can try and think about how does space technology impact each of those um, companies today and, and in the future? Um, and, and, and how do therefore we um, help them harness that potential, um, you know, to, to do things better, to optimize um, their operations, to think about, um, you know, how they're monitoring their ESG targets and their carbon footprints, for example, how they're defending the, you know, their nations, you know, all, all these types of things. Um, so the strategy is quite broad. I mean, we do also think about, you know, the next, I guess, the next generation of space, so the even more, you know, forward-looking um, areas. Um, but the strategy today is, is, is kind of, well, where's that value 
you know, in the, in the near term, you know, for, for, for the industry and for our clients. Well, when I'd like to take a look at the investments and agreements that Accenture has made over the past year, um, it seems to be somewhat bifurcated in the sense that, you know, one path is very much focused on data and the mm. other path is very much focused on securing that data. You know, and the other, you know, seems, you know, that second one seems to be data assurance, making sure that the user knows that the data is reliable, secure and available. Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean, that, that, well, that's that's a huge um, part of what we're trying to do. And when you think about especially when you're looking at the, the, that second component, so the, you know, that the Earth observation capabilities. Right. So that's that's all about data. Um, and, you know, d- data of what they're seeing or sensing, you know, in, in different types of multispectral or hyperspectral imagery, whatever it may be. Um, it's it, So the data is paramount. And so one is understanding that data, you know, unpacking that data in the right way and making the right sort of insights and decisions off the back of it. So data and AI, huge part. Generative AI, I think, you know, is obviously a, 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 a term that everybody's talking about now because of chat GPT, but actually the generative AI capabilities of, of helping interpret and understand and interact with that data is also really important. And I think that's something that we'll see a lot more instances of in the coming, you know, year or so. Um, and, you know, once you've got data, anytime you have data and, you know, sharing that data or even not sharing that data, keeping that data private, the security component of that is really, really paramount. Um, so obviously, you know, we've been we've been looking at, you know, how do we partner with the right companies that have a, a ability to provide the different sources of data, um, as well as then how do we unpack that, you know, with partners or, and also ourselves. I mean, we have a huge data and AI um, capability. You might have seen our CEO um, recently made an announcement um, around a $3 billion investment across data and AI over the next three years with Accenture. So we're really doubling down in that arena. Um and as I said, security really comes 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 hand in hand with that. The uh, you know the, the the war in Ukraine's really brought a lot of that to the fore, right? And um, not just the uh, the ability to um, to look at space technology to to, to be a secure, um, resilient infrastructure and data source, but also the necessity to maintain that security and on an operational element of it. And Craig, what are you seeing in that? I mean, because you're dealing very much in the defense sector, you know, here in. Uh, North America, and you're obviously dealing a lot with companies that are working with the Department of Defense. I mean, are they looking at AI? And when they do, I mean, is is it still security, 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 or is it just really, really new? So I'm going to pivot a bit from security to a different word that then leads us to security, and that's trust. Um, and, and I think that trust matters in, in a few ways. Right. So first is the notion of when it comes to AI, responsible AI, do I trust what AI is generating? When it comes to just data in general, do I trust the data themselves? So, so for example, you know, earlier this week, there was news out in terms of commercial aircraft being jammed navigationally as they traverse various conflict zones that are occurring across the globe right now. Space is an alternative to support those navigational needs, but you've got to trust those data. You've got to trust that the coordinates that they're providing are secure, that they're correct, uh, that you are flying in the right direction. Um, so so just as, as we need to trust our banking, trust our um, food delivery, trust our ride share, you know, it it is also an imperative that we trust the data that we're taking decisions on when it comes to defense. And so a lot of the conversation now when it comes to space, 
around um, around defense uh, and frankly commercial aerospace applications is how do I make sure? And, and Paul started alluding to this that I'm not just relying on one source of of space data. I am piecing together different options, be it geostationary, be it low Earth orbit, be it middle Earth orbit, be it commercially provided, be it an exquisite defense asset. How am I creating those trusted, resilient, reliable, secure, again, to use Paul's term, um, networks of data such that I can operate in the environments that I'm seeking to operate in? And, and on the defense side for the US and, and partner countries, operate in the much more data-driven way. Um, and, and you warned us about acronyms, you know, but you know, things like now we got a C, C Jazz C2, um, you know, and other uh, aspects of, of new data-driven doctrine uh, that are emerging um, uh, in, in ways that you know, we've never done before, but we think are going to be necessary uh, as we look at conflicts that are emerging uh, across the globe. And so in, in that sort of sector, you know, what do you think is the technology or the development that you think is going to actually, you know, provide that trust, that assurance, that that security that you were just speaking about? So it, it's a couple of things. Um, one is the technology side that Paul was referencing before. It's one of the reasons that we'd Accenture making some of the investments we are, investments we are, because those kinds of technologies are going to be important so that you can demonstrate the trust, so you can demonstrate the security. But frankly, perhaps the more important part is the humans um, and uh, the humans being culturally, organizationally, behaviorally inculcated in this notion of how I develop trust in the data that I am receiving, that I'm interpreting, that I'm seeing, be it processed by AI, be it processed by another human being. And a, a lot of the work that we're doing right now um, at Accenture, and, and we see you know, our clients and, and our peers working on as well, is this notion of how do I create data organizations and data governance and other processes and procedures within companies such that we're culturally attuned to how we build that trust and there are trusted ways of how those data are ingested, how they're processed, how they're then you know, interpreted. So it, yes, the investments that, that Paul is working on and others are working on are, are critically important because you've got to build the secure pipe, um, whatever shape that pipe may take. Uh, but at the end of the day, the human has got to look at the data and say, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. And because I know where it came from, right? And, and as we move further off into space, right, um, that, that, that source gets a lot further away, both literally and figuratively, right? I, I can't see it. And so uh, I need to, to know that, yes, the technology is secure and also that within the organization that I'm operating in that it came from a place of trust. Now, I'm really happy to have you both on the podcast for this end of the year look at the space economy because you're both coming to this from a very different perspective than my usual guests. So I'm looking forward to what you guys have to say about what you think were the top one or two developments in the space economy this year. No pressure, but Craig, what's your top development and why? So I'm going to make a 
I think generic yet somewhat specific answer, um, which is that I think we are crossing the threshold this year of space no longer truly being a governmental provenance and moving into this hybrid commercial government realm. And I think that's important because the the behaviors of the industry and the behaviors of the consumers of everything space necessarily are going to need to change. Um, you know, there's, for example, the notion of how do I do rapid launches and testing of new platforms if the regulatory framework is attuned to something of a 1970s, 1980s, purely governmental ilk. Doesn't work so well. We're in, and we're starting to address the, those challenges now. And so it's, it, and by commercialization, I don't mean, you know, high net worth individuals just shooting themselves off into space for a nice little joyride. It's, it's much more also the behaviors of the companies and government saying, oh, we're kind of in this place now where you know, aviation was several decades ago when it moved out of governmental into a commercial realm. We've got to figure that stuff out. We're going to need to start figuring out how you know, the, the equivalent of the laws of the sea function in space because those things are going to start to happen and we got to figure that out. Even on the defense side, I got to figure out how I blend commercial and governmental assets. So to me, it's that, again, that sort of shift across the line, I think, where we're truly entering this hybrid regime. And, and that's going to be super important for us to continue to develop um, for the sake of all applications that are out there. And Paul, what hits the top of your list? Um well, there's, there's there's so much to, to mention. I think first, I think the commercialization is 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 a really key one because, I, and I see it kind of from a commercialization of the, I guess, traditional space industry, and you know how they're looking and reacting to some of the new space players and thinking about what that means for them and their business models. I think that that's that's huge. That obviously goes beyond you know simply NASA and the European Space Agency. It goes down to the you know those the, the individual corporate uh, institutions. Um, and then I think that, you know, the new space economy itself, I mean, there's been so much money um, come into it. You know, there's been a lot of debate around around that and, you know, where, where, where that trend's um, been heading. But I think what we're seeing really is um, a lot of emergence of uh, focused business cases and use cases where they're really targeting, um, you know, the, a commercial model that's viable and replicable and sustainable. And I think that emergence will be really, really interesting and to see how those two um, dovetail together to, to work together. Um I think also as that does evolve, uh, you know, more and more um, capabilities are harnessed around space technology, especially around, you know, the um, sat sharing of satellite data and satellite communications. I think there'll be more models coming up around that data sharing between, um, you know, owners of that data and users of that data, which could be really, really, really interesting. Um, so I think that's that's super interesting. Satellite connectivity to IoT, I mean, I think as that develops and that enables, you know, connectivity to every single thing and device, you know, on the planet, that's the, the, the potential there is, is huge, not, you know, one for the developing economies, you know, and, and the emerging economies that, that need that connectivity in places they don't have today, but in the developed world, you know, and smart cities, such, such amazing potential applications there, I think that we, we're just, you know, touching the, the tip of at the moment. And the last thing is, you know, when you think about space debris and 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 and, um, and all the companies out there that are looking at space debris and, and looking at how do we even, you know, just 
help manage you know the satellites and move them in and out of orbits etc that emergence of the, the potential to repair or reuse or recycle those satellites and you know the whole you know all bots is is the, is the new thing that i've been you know hearing about the moment i think that that potential is amazing too and really needed as well so sorry i couldn't mention one there's just there's just so much so much there Oh no, that's fine. And in fact, it's it's quite uh, lovely and cute that you mentioned Orbas, just because um, I had the CEO and founder of Rogue Space on recently, and it's those are his Orbots, oh, right? That are that well, the first Orbot, the Barry one, just sort of launched about I don't know what two two weeks ago, a little yeah. over two weeks ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, but I want to also bring something else to your attention and, and get your take on this. There was a recent report from Space Capital um, on the third quarter, and it noted that you know early stage investment is is having difficulty um, year over year in general, and I think we're all seeing that, we're all hearing that. But the report also said that investment in applications is at a historical low; that it's down seventy one percent, and some of the stuff that you that Accenture has been investing in has been specifically in, in applications, right? Applications in terms of securing the pipe, uh, applications in terms of analyzing. I know you guys are looking at analyzing um, and uh, processing data at the edge, you know, but you guys keep investing in that direction. What are you seeing that others are not? I mean, is it that you can see past the precipice that you've just been talking about because you know you've been around for four plus decades right so what is it what are you seeing um it's well i i think you know what what you've read is um we've read we've read the same things um i think that the difference is that we're coming from a place where we have a whole you know thousands and thousands of clients across different industries that we're you know talking to and working with every day and helping them fix you know the problems that they have today and 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 in theory fix the problems that they don't have today but they might have in the future um and so we're seeing you know that that potential of certain components of space technology that could be applicable for them um that you know some of them could be harnessed today but some of them actually will be harnessed later in the future so there's a bit of us you know investing where we know there's potential now and focusing you know from that from um the applications of those applications, you know, in certain use cases for certain industries, but with a view that we also know those things will, you know, be able to be reused and, 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 and worked with other clients in other industries further down the line as the maturity of the technology evolves and those capabilities evolve and, you know, the costs, you know, also evolve and, and more business models and commercial models evolve. So I think, you know, we, we definitely see, see the potential and, you know, we are, um, you know, currently working across multiple industries around, around around multiple use cases that involve um those investments that we made and other and other partners right so our, our kind of our space i guess our space arsenal isn't limited just to who we're invested in um you know we're, we're partnering with and, and working with um, a whole host of other other folks in the space industry we just haven't uh, and made announcements about them all yet and if, if if i can add on to what paul said i think it's it's everything happens in context right and the context today is we're in a high interest rate environment. And if I look at an industry in which by and large, right, fast is I can get space on, you know, uh, a launch in two to three years, right? Um, gosh, I might want to do something else with my money. It, and that can paint a broad brush, right, across the entire ecosystem. And so 
um, you know, the opportunities that may exist may get, you know, somewhat, you know, hidden by that, those broad strokes from time to time as well. So, you know, the, the macro climate and the general perception of the industry kind of come together here as well in terms of how they shape perception. I, th I think just one other thing, if I may, is um, if you think about when we, th if we think about that commercialization question, I think that's where there's a key sort of magic ingredient where, you know, we, we understand the industry issues, we understand the technology capabilities, and we can sort of plug those two kind of things together in the right, in the right way with the right balance. And I think that's, that's key. Um, I mean, just to give you an example, I mean, many, many moons ago, I worked with a, a commodity trading company and we were looking at, you know, how do we secure things in a warehouse and how do we use IoT devices to do that? And I remember when we were trying to solution components of, you know, what, what we can do with IoT and how we can track and trace certain things. I remember talking to warehouse staff and they said, well, this, I, this IoT capability is amazing. Can you tell us how can we how can we capture, you know, how many rats are in the warehouse? And if there's a rat, in, you know, if there's a rat infestation and can you tell us, you know, if someone's leaked into the bag and can you tell us this? And there's all this list of requirements and you think, well, actually, yeah, we could do everything that you're asking if you want. But actually, every single thing is going to come at an additional cost that might involve another technology component to do it. So the potential of technology is we can do it all, but it comes down to what do you really need to do? What's the results you really need to get? And what's the right technology stack with the right prices to kind of make that come to fruition to be something that you can roll out at scale? And that's, that's I think, where, you know, we really play a big role and where I think, as you've just said, around, you know, the, those applications of those applications and how we look at that is really important. Maybe this next question is really for for Craig, but please, Paul, do jump in because it 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 does kind of go off on the you know commercial versus government customer, right? Because it is being said in a number of reports that you know government contracts, particularly defense contracts, are propping up parts of the space economy and what's you know the bearish investment market, especially for the early stage space technology companies. You know, does that match what you're seeing? I know, you know, what you just said that, that we're, you know, possibly transitioning into more of a commercially driven market, but the investments kind of say otherwise. And I'm asking because the, even the Space Force folks I speak with, I mean, they really want the commercial space sector to shoulder this responsibility, right? I mean, they, they, they don't want it. They want the commercial sector to just, you know, just soldier on and, and, and do it all. Craig, what are you seeing? Uh, I think the answer is... Watch out, consultant's going to say this. It depends on the segment <laughs> of the uh, the space economy that we're talking about, right? I think it's in it's in inarguable that the capital intensive notion of launch, right? So the ground to space portion of the space economy that requires a significant commitment, and and what we've seen in terms of um, the the companies that have been successful and are and are developing things in the private space is they're willing to commit a significant amount of capital. By the way, most cases, at least here in North America, largely from private sources, right? Not from the markets to make that happen. And they've gone about doing business in a fundamentally different way, right? You can, you can in in ways draw parallels to some of the the startups in uh, the defense space as well, who are kind of moving against the current of the traditional acquisition curve, right? So people like Anduril and Shield AI, right? Who are basically saying, we're going to go do this. We're not going to wait for you to fund me to do R&D, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we're going to go do it. 
and 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 that portion of the ground to space you know capital investment um, market ha- has kind of been shaped by that right now. And so, I, you know, I mentioned before this notion of we're kind of moving into the commercialization. Part of the problem is in in making that sort of government to commercial pivot. Okay, outside of someone with a tremendous sum of private funding going out and building this capital infrastructure, what's the market mechanism for building that? Right, we, we've we've gone past the spac boom. We're not spacking anymore. Right, that that probably didn't work out. So what's the funding mechanism for going to do that? Because historically, the funding mechanism has been the government says, hey, I'm going to go pay you to go do a bunch of R&D to build the capital portion of the space economy. We, we, aren't, we aren't fully through that yet. And, and so I think you know, the short answer then is, yeah, to an extent, it is getting propped up, right? Because we haven't made that transition in full. And, and we've got to figure that piece out. Now, will we? probably will. History says we probably will. Um, but I think the interesting piece is on the, you know, the other portions of the space economy, right? Be that space to space or space to ground. Yeah, there's a whole lot of interesting stuff going on, right? And and Paul talked a, a lot about it before. Um, and, and so, again, there there's this it depends kind of situation going on. Um, in terms of where the investment is coming from and, and where it can be most applied. But but I think we're seeing those use cases develop certainly in the space-to-space and space-to-ground aspects. And and eventually the demand for launch will make things happen. Now, I know that we're running out of time. So I have one last question for you, gents. And this always seems like a softball question, but I know that it really isn't. What's going to be the big development in 2024? What are you guys looking forward to? Paul, you want to start that? Well, I, th- well, I mentioned a few things there before in the previous question, so I think right. But it, but in the context of 2023, what's coming next year that you that you are actually really excited about? So I think uh, I think the advent of um, of generative AI on. Uh, on on data interpretation from 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 Earth observation technology, I think that's going to be huge, um, and particularly particularly when you can combine that with other sort of immersive um, visual tools. You know, think about um, VR components as well. There, I, th- I think that's really exciting um, ability for folks to interact with that data and be able to query that data in a lot more easier and faster way. And Craig, uh, I'm going to go all in building on my prior answer and to say that the advent of things like what you see going on with Sierra Space and others and building more reusable, you know, less bespoke mechanisms for getting things up into orbit, for doing things whilst you're there and coming back down and lowering, lowering that cost curve, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because I think it's going to be super important. I think it's going to be super cool too. But but I, I think what did I read recently? There was something like sixty or seventy um, launch companies on the scene at the moment, and I, so I think there's a there's a, there's a battle right now. And I know yeah. I was at the um, the, the space um, tech expo in Bremen um, a couple of weeks ago, and there's a big you know theme there around you know European 
um, launch capabilities. Um, and, the, and you know, a, a healthy debate as well around, you know, should should the European launch capabilities be kept for Europe, right? And uh, and should we, how, you know, how do we think about that sort of sovereign capabilities? And obviously a huge debate back saying, well, no, we should be um, ensuring that's open and available for everyone. And, you know, if we're privatizing and commercializing the industry, we need to, every, everybody needs to have the benefit of working with, you know, whatever's the right solution for them. But I think that that evolution of that market, as you just said, Craig, that's going to be really interesting to see how that develops and how do companies really compete with, you know, SpaceX that already has such a, a big, you know, advance, you know, in terms of both technology and also business model here. So it'd be really interesting, but definitely exciting. It's interesting that you just mentioned SpaceX um, in terms of uh, decreasing launch costs, just because mm-hmm. we're all watching Starship and the development of Starship. And the whole thought with that is that, you know, $1,000 per kilogram, at least that's the goal that yeah. stated goal that they're shooting for, whether or not they actually get close to that or not is one thing, but they are definitely going to, if they succeed, drastically reduce launch costs and, uh, you know, the um, tense amount of volume that they'll actually be able to take up as well as of course the tonnage it, it should be hugely changing of the environment it's a singularity is what a, a friend of mine says anyway i want to thank you both so much for making the time to come on the podcast and i hope to have you guys on again soon i hope so thanks so much for having us thanks a lot laura appreciate it That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Kavis Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.